Welcome to Take It From Us with host Kent Johns. Real people, real voices, real lives. Discussing mental health, addiction and disability in the community. Your weekly window to the real world. Welcome to Take It From Us. Welcome to our program, Take It From Us, off the back of a long weekend. I hope you had a great Anzac Day yesterday. I hope you were able to get out and make the most of it. I certainly tried. I, I took my family out to a service in the morning. I always try and get to a service every year. It's a time of great reflection for me. It's also a time for gratitude. I always feel extremely grateful uh, for being in New Zealand every Anzac Day. And then in the afternoon, it's often about, for me, celebrating and, en- and enjoying the day with friends and family. Yesterday, it was some food in the afternoon with my parents and my father and I sat back and had some boy time. Uh, we watched some rugby league which is what we often do on Anzac Day and always get a spine chill when I hear the bugle each and every year. And it's probably now the most important day for a lot of New Zealanders, Anzac Day, 25th of April each year. I hope you made the most of it. I hope it was a really good one for you. And it is a time for reflection. And as I think about where we've come on Take It From Us, we've been going now, Karen and I, since we've started our program, we've been going now for the best part of two months. So we've already had eight programs. And some of the stories have been a little confronting. I think for some people they've probably been difficult to listen to, but this is important stuff because we are honouring everybody's stories and everybody's journeys, and this is a, a safe environment. This is a platform where we get to share our thoughts and emotions with with our listeners and with each other. And so that's what it's all about. So it's been a huge learning experience both for myself and for Karen, but we have relished every moment that we've been given this opportunity to hear from you and to get such wonderful people on our program to share and to contribute. And really that is what our program is all about. So this week we thought we'd do something a little different and just take a look back at some of the people that have made appearances on our program and some of the the great stories that we have heard here on Take It From Us. So here it is, a selection of guests who have inspired us and made us smile. You're listening to Take It From Us. My story, your story, our story. Rika Rosley is a young mum. She's a motivational speaker and peer support specialist from Waiuku. She comes from a background of lived experience in sexual abuse, homelessness, domestic violence, drug abuse and baby loss. Rika is now in her ninth year of mental distress and addiction recovery. She's dedicated those last nine years of her career to supporting youth in the field of suicide prevention. In 2014, Rika founded a youth empowerment movement called My Voice Matters and has designed and facilitated wellbeing workshops in schools and communities nationwide using her own story to inspire and support the lives of other young Rika is also the New Zealand Ambassador for the Youth Assembly, alumni of the Mental Health Foundation of New Zealand's Point of Difference and WWGSD, Women Who Get Shit Done. What a great name that is. Uh, Rika is currently preparing to take a team of young Kiwi leaders to New York City for the 27th Youth Assembly and has been co-facilitating a Hiora course, Youthful Nature, in her hometown for young people with a Te Ao Māori focus. And it's a really lovely uh, pleasure to welcome Rika to our program, to take it from us. Rika, how are you doing? 
Kia ora. Thank you for having me. I'm doing good, thank you. How are you? I'm really good. Uh, what's your focus at the moment? Um, I think you kind of summed it up just then. Um, so at the moment, I'm preparing to go over to New York in August. So that's a lot of fundraising and planning that goes into that. Um, I got to go to the Youth Assembly a couple of years ago as a New Zealand delegate. Um, and it was in Washington, D.C., and it was just completely life-changing for me. Um, and this year, as an ambassador, I get to actually take a team with me, which will be amazing. I'd love to give um, other young Kiwis that opportunity. So that's sort of my focus at the moment. What was so life-changing about it for you, and what, what messages were you able to bring home with you? So there were, i say, over 120 countries represented there and just getting to meet with other youth leaders and seeing what's working in their country and what isn't in terms of, well, for me, my focus is mental health. Um, I think the most life-changing message that I got to bring home was from a representative from Nigeria. Um, and he was talking to me about, you know, the poverty and the... Um, harsh conditions that their youth are living in over there. And he was just amazed when I told him about our quality of life here in New Zealand. Um, and then I said, oh, you know, like considering how they live over there, um, youth suicide must just be rife. He said, no, it's absolutely unheard of. He said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even dream of it. And we sort of got to talking and what we figured out, it's, it comes down to mentality. So the way that they are raised over there, he said, you're taught from a very young age, you know, someone can take your money, they can take your job, they can take the clothes off your back, but what they can't take from you is your love of life. Whereas here, I think a lot of the thinking is around, if I end my life, I end all the problems that come with it. And it was just such a a life-changing lesson for me, just hearing that alone. So that would probably be the biggest message that I took home from that assembly. And how have you been able to convey that message to the people in your community? So I try to instill it in all of the lessons I teach. Um, we actually started coming up with a really cool cultural exchange program just based off that one conversation. But obviously with COVID, it's been really difficult to get anything off the ground. Um, so I'm just looking into different ways that I can do that. And I'm really excited to see what else I can learn at this next assembly as well. Mm. And how many people are you taking over with you at the stage? Um, I can take up to 15 myself, but anyone is welcome to attend. Um, I'm looking for at least four more um, young people at this stage um, and uh, 18 to 32-year-olds passionate about any of the SDGs that could be climate change, gender equality. Um, I'm going for health and well-being, focused on mental health. Um, yeah, uh, just people who are passionate and making an impact in their own community. What's the biggest issue troubling youth at the moment here in New Zealand? This is such a complex question and I get asked it so often. I think part of the issue is that we're looking at it as this big thing and that there must be one solution. And I think what we really need to do is scale it right down to the individual. And it's that lack of connection with individuals that I think is the issue here. So everyone's going through their own thing, you know, but like I said, like that whole mentality that we're raised with in that culture, I think that mm. needs to be looked at. Um, I'm not happy with the wait times on actually accessing help uh, in New Zealand. There's a lot that needs shaking up. Mm. Yeah, the system's just completely overwhelmed at the moment, isn't it? There's just not enough boots on the ground for yeah. for people to book in and, and talk to a specialist. Yeah.
Tell me if I'm wrong with this metaphor, but often, you know, when you might say that you're cold, let's say you, oh, I'm really cold today, and someone says, well, you think you're cold, try living down here. Um, it doesn't change the fact that relative to your own surroundings and your own life, you are cold. Um, do you think maybe we have adopted this approach in New Zealand where we say, look, you think you're doing it tough? Think about those poor people in Nigeria. And actually, we're not addressing the root causes of why that particular person is troubled. Absolutely. It's so relative. I mean, you wouldn't say to someone if they said, oh, I'm feeling really happy today, like, oh, that person should be way happier than you are. Why do you think you're happy? <laughs> you know, and it's just such a funny way of looking at things. Like uh, a lot of the time when I share my story, uh, I get people saying, you know, like, oh, well, you've had such a rough life and whatever, mm. whatever I've been through. I wouldn't say that, you know, someone might have uh, lost their pet kitten when they were five and that was tragic for them. I would never say that my life was harder than anyone else's for that exact reason. Um, pain is pain. Mm. And um, you just you can't relate these things. So, yeah. Yeah, and look, there's always someone in a better position than you, and there's always someone in a worse position than you. It's, it's about how you're going is what counts. Yeah, absolutely. So, Rika, do the young kids these days, the young people, the people that you work with, do they know where to turn for help? Yep. Um, we actually go over it every single day. <laughs> mm. Yeah, um, and... I think there's so much pressure on the young people themselves to be the ones that, you know, there's all these campaigns about, like, be brave, speak up, ask for help, and that's fine. But we as a society need to make sure that we are prepared when someone does reach out for help or we recognise the signs and someone reaches out for help. It might not uh, come in the way that we'd expect. Um, certain behaviours we see as disruptive could be a call for help and we're just not responding to that properly. So I think making, like checking in on yourself first, am I a trustworthy person? Am I approachable? Those sorts of things are what we start, um, what we need to start asking ourselves. Take it from us. We are talking with Rika Rosley. Uh, Rika, how did you turn your life around? I, I read out your story there in, in the, the bio to kick things off. How were you able to turn your life around? Uh, it's, a, it's a big one. Um, I guess it was just this big downward spiral that started from a really young age. And I think my turning point, I was 20 years old, um, and it was a positive pregnancy test that turned it around for me. Um, I didn't actually get support when it came to um coming off drugs, I was actually locked in a room by a friend and she said, you're not coming out of here till you've come down and then you're not touching it again. She kept a very close eye on me. And it's a bit of a harsh and weird way to um, get clean, as they say. But um, as a 20-year-old, that's what I had at the time. And it honestly was the start of everything for me was that. Um, I started learning to be okay with accepting help. Um, I was offered some fruit from a church one day and they said, oh, you should come down one time. Usually there's no way I would do that, but I decided to go along and I met some people and just sort of um, opening myself up, putting myself out there and just one thing leads to another and you never know who you're going to meet or how they might help you. So um, just really putting myself out there um, starting to believe in myself was the biggest thing. You know, I, I never thought that I'd be able to say that I'm nine years sober. There was no way. So, like, self-belief is, is the biggest thing. And just, like, um, identity, just knowing who I am and just being confident about that person, believing in that person. Um, I'd say that's, 
that was the biggest turning point for me and becoming a mum became a huge part of my identity. So finding that um, and just realising that my experiences actually became like the foundations of, of who I am today and like my willingness to help others and the fact that I can hold hope for other people, um, that's that's a huge reason to live. So. so grasping the concept that asking for help is a strength as opposed to a weakness... Do, do people still need convincing of that? Uh, yes. And I think, yeah, it's just taking that responsibility back as well. Um, yeah, I think I I had a very hard time at first with asking for help because you do get so many no's, so much rejection. It's finding the right sorts of people who you can turn to for help. Um so it, it comes down to the very, very little things. If someone says they're going to do something, they need to follow through with that because it could be the smallest thing. It could be like, oh, yeah, well, yeah we'll catch up for coffee next week. Mm. If you don't, mm. as small as that coffee might be to you, that might mean the world to someone else. That could be a life-saving coffee. Do you know what I mean? Um, so those little things are what build that trust. So becoming that trustworthy person that someone can talk to, I think that's that's the most important thing. And yeah, recognising that as someone asking for help just comes naturally. You you sort of feel out who you can trust and who you can't. And hmm. yeah. So when you were at your lowest point, how did you hang on to hope? Um, well, <laughs> that's a big one. I think for me, every day I would have more to look back on and more of a reason to be like, this is why I'm doing this. And I think pregnancy just came at a really good time for me because, you know, you're literally growing a life every day. The life is getting closer and closer to to being here with you. And so for me personally, that was the motivator. Like it's, it's something physically there. You can't avoid it. Your belly's growing. <laughs> Baby's going to arrive any day. And for me, that was the motivator. Um, but, I mean, if, you, if you're not pregnant, um, you can still look back and every day you're getting closer to being who you're supposed to be and further away from who you had to be. What's the nicest compliment you've been given? Oof. Um, I've had a lot, a lot of real nice ones from kids that I've worked with. That's been amazing. Just kids wanting to do what I do is mm. huge. Um, one that absolutely changed my life was I was uh, teaching um, My Voice Matters and um, I think it was Topor. Um no, Toadonga, sorry. This uh, young girl at the end, we had questions and answers. She was a bit quiet during the class, but at the end she just blah, 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 just wouldn't stop talking. And I thought she was awesome and I answered all her questions. It was great. And then um, afterwards her tutor came up to me crying and I said, what's wrong? She said, um... That girl had been through horrific abuse like you couldn't imagine. And since that day, she'd actually been mute. She hadn't spoken. And that was the first time she'd spoken. And for me, that was a life-changing compliment. Like if I can help someone find their voice, like my job's done anything from here as a bonus for me. So that was my moment of I've, I've redefined success in my mind and I'm successful now. Wow. So you literally help someone find their voice. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. 
Yeah, I think it was a sign to keep going and I'm doing the right thing for sure. What's your key message to, to any young people that are listening to this program today? What's your key message for them? Uh, everything I do, honestly, comes down to identity, self-confidence and support. So, like I said, finding who you are, despite the world trying to tell you who you're supposed to be, um, being confident in that person, like that person is supposed to be here for a reason and it's amazing, it's a miracle that you get to be that person, be that person. Mm. And then support, um, find your tribe, stick with them. Um, it's okay to trust people and be a trustworthy person yourself. Mm. Yeah, that, that was a point that we made last week on our program was, you know, it, it takes a village to raise a child, but it also takes a village to support people as well and we need to lean on each other and support each other that's how we get through life we can't Absolutely. do it on our own eh? we're not we're not designed to no they no, no we, we we hunt in packs as they say so that's it's really inspiring stuff just one final question for you and just to grab a final thought what are you most hopeful for now in life oh well it's such uncertain times that we're living in so it's really hard to say that but I just want safe and supportive communities for young people. I just want to end the youth suicide crisis that we're facing at the moment. Like one young life lost to suicide is one too many. And um, I just want a better world for my kids to grow up in. Yeah, Dave Latelli, who we interviewed last week, he he talked about the safety of the community too. And when I asked him what did he mean by that, he said having people not being judged whether it be because they're unhealthy or overweight or whatever it might be. what What's your view on safe? What does that mean to you? It's not only just accepting diversity, but it's celebrating it. What a boring world it would be if we were all the same. You know, I think it's amazing that we get to live in such a rich, culturally diverse society, especially here in Aotearoa. So I think that needs to really be celebrated. We need to um, learn more about each other and understand each other. There's so much we can learn from each other. So, um, yeah, I think that's what that means to me. Yeah. Well, the courage and the bravery and the self-compassion and the compassion and empathy for others, Rika, really shines through and it's really inspiring. It's really, really inspiring, and you're helping so many people by just being you. So well done, and all the very best in the future. Thank you so much. And go well at the Youth Assembly. I bet you're very excited to head back to New York City, eh? Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Thank you. That's Rika Rosley. Uh, you can find out more about Rika and her mahi at myvoicematters.co.nz or get in touch via email hello at myvoicematters.co.nz. Coming, help me carry this load. I need a dollar. 
He gave up alcohol many years ago and now talks about that as part of his comedy act. He's also the host of the podcast Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower. When we spoke with James, he'd just returned home from Australia and was readjusting to the colder New Zealand temperature. You've been in Perth for a little while? Yeah. Longer than expected, I'm told? (laughs) A little bit longer. A little bit longer. A couple of weeks. Ended up staying uh, eight months. it's a strange job, though, mate. You know, I, I, I couldn't get back here to work, but then I had friends who couldn't get to Perth to work, so we ended up sort of all passing each other work internationally. What What is there to do in Perth for eight months? 
dodge spiders and snakes. That's um, yeah. I, I, I looked at a lot of bush, saw a lot of. That sounds that sounds slightly yeah. dodgier than I expected that sentence to. Um, but I was out in the bush, walking around, uh, checking for snakes and um, spiders and sharks. When I went into everything, can kill you. That's the main difference. What are we in New Zealand? We've got like a, a parrot. Um, and and over there, even the parrots will drop giant gum nuts on you and give you a concussion. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's a whole it's, different lifestyle. Yeah, fair. Our wildlife is so benign, which is not a bad thing, really, is it? I, sp- I suppose. No, I think the main thing over there is everyone drinks, and uh, they've got quite a problem with yes. amphetamines. But that's because they've got the big mining culture and and oil rig culture. So you know those kind of industrial mm-hmm. jobs. Um, so it, you know when you're in town. Yeah, you know, if you're in Auckland or in Wellington or Christchurch, yeah, you'll get some drunks walking around. But it does, I think maybe it's the heat as well. It just kind of makes it all a little bit intense when people are off their heads in town. You've got your own quite intimate story with alcohol. Give us some background. Um, well, about uh, six years ago, uh, I was actually in Perth um, mm. during their Fringe Festival, and uh, I was having a, a very nice run. Uh, as festival runs go, I'd sold out shows and I'd, I'd, I'd award nominations, and yeah, that's that's what you want. I was really depressed, and um, my partner at the time, she was quite confused. Uh, I was confused. Um, my friends were confused because I was fine on stage, and I was fine afterwards. But every day it was just getting harder to get up, and uh, so I went to another festival after that. And I called up some mates who uh, who lived nearby, and I said, look, I'm, I'm in a spot. I'm in a hole. You know, mm. I was aware enough to know I was in a hole. Mm. Um, can you come and put some eyes on me? Just come hang out for me for a couple of days. So they came down to Adelaide, which is where we were, and uh, and we drank, and we did shows. And uh, at the end of it, they were like, yeah, uh, something's wrong. You're off. Mm. But we don't know what it is. So when I finally got back to New Zealand, and I've been touring Australia for two months at that stage, um, just drinking and performing, uh, I went to my doctor and I said, look, something's up. And I, I can't – it's a bit weird to go to your doctor when you don't know, mm. but you do know. You know your body, you know your mind, you know something isn't quite right, but you don't have it. And doctors cost money, so you don't want to waste their time. But mm. so, And he was good. He sort of listened to everything. And then um, he asked me a couple of questions, and then he went, well, how much do you drink? And I said, oh, you know, as, as much as any other comedian. And he said, well, how much is that? And so I told him. And he went, look, um, he's been my doctor for, for uh, you know, since I was a kid. So we've got this very strong relationship. So we know mm-hmm. he, can, he can talk straight to me. I always say mm-hmm. your doctor's like your mechanic. You know, so you've got to be honest or they can't fix you. Um, he said, I think you might be an alcoholic. And I was like, really? Because, and I was generally surprised because to mm-hmm. me, I was drinking. Um, which is uh, you know, a couple of beers through the day uh, and then a couple of bottles of wine, uh, one, sometimes two, uh, mm. each day, was just part of the job, part of the lifestyle. You know, I, I drink when I wrote, I drink when I performed. Um, sometimes it was a bit low energy getting up. I had a drink. It didn't seem unusual to me because my whole life involved it. He said, I'm going to recommend you to um, at the Narcotics Anonymous program in New Zealand. And, um, you know, I did a quick phone interview with them on the stairway. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, you should come see us. I went, oh, okay, shucks. Um, and then they said, oh, can you come in April 1st? And I said, oh, I can't. 
because I'm a comedian and that date's just not, I'm not going to take this seriously. So they gave me a, a, another thing and uh, I went in and they, they assessed me and, and they said, yeah, you're, you're an alcoholic. Mm. Uh, and of course, as I'm sure many alcoholics in this position, I went, oh, okay, so yeah. when, when can I drink? And they went, no, 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 no. You're not hearing us. You can't drink. Uh, some people, some people are very lucky and they can start drinking again a little bit, but you're, mm. you're not built like that. So you're, uh, you're going to be done. And so that's, uh, that was, that was six years ago. And you've been sober ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Although I, I do, look, mate, I'll be honest during the mm. pandemic, I do think it should count as two years for each year we've had to do this. That's sure. I, 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 I like to feel like it's been 10 now. Sure. How did, how did you cope with having a label thrust on you by somebody else? It was, you know, it, it was actually interesting because it, to, to, to name it, like I said, I, I've been feeling discombobulated. You know, mm. I, I knew something was wrong. So to actually have someone name it, like, was, was it, was it, uh, there was a bit of a relief, um, mm. a bit of shame because, uh, you know, we're in, um, I'm, Armon and in the Pacific, you know, we joke about the Elky uncle or the Elky. And I'm well, hang on. Now I'm in my 30s and I'm the Elky? Wait, that can't be right. So, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was very difficult. I wasn't sure how to talk to people about it. Um, and I work in pubs. You know, I, 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 I travel the world. Damn it, that's, that's part of why I started doing this as a job. I wanted to travel the world and, and, and drink and tell stories and laugh with people. But then, um, because the the way New Zealand is sometimes, our mental health system uh, is not, it doesn't always meet the needs of the people that require mm. it. So they couldn't see me for a month mm. um, because they were filled up. That's not their fault. They had too many people. <laughs> mm. um, but I, I, you know, my doctor had made it clear, this man I trusted made it clear, drinking was, was killing me. So I stopped. And I went cold turkey. And I didn't know that you're not meant to go cold turkey. That's that's a movie thing. The way you're meant to actually do it is with help, with with a counsellor and, and the slow progression. No one had told me that. So I went cold turkey. And I got withdrawal. So I, 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 I actually went into withdrawal. And for 10 days, uh, I had the worst migraine in the world from about 5 o'clock at night. Because that's when I, I, my, I usually started uh, drinking. And uh, I, if I didn't have a drink, well, I didn't have a drink. So at about, um, it, I just deteriorated over the night. And about one o'clock in the morning, my veins would kind of burst and my neck veins would begin to just feel like they were on fire. And my partner at the time had to go and stay with friends because we would wake up. And the bed would be drenched. I hadn't wet the bed. I had sweated through the entire bed. And, and in a way, that was good because it made it real. Mm. You know, it wasn't just – because when you're a performer and you get that kind of stuff, mate, you know, people are like, oh, all right, bro. I'm being a bit dramatic, I think. So to have that actual physical reaction to not drinking. Um, and, you know, and, and my temper was short. You know, I was, I was yelling at people I cared about. Uh, it was confused it, and so to be able to uh, to go, oh, it's withdrawal. Mm. My body's in withdrawal. I am an alcoholic. This is real. My body is fighting. Um, that helped. And then after that was six months, 
as I was as it was explained to me, my brain had to remake neural pathways that had been dependent on alcohol. And so the next six months, I actually, my brain was really slow. And that was very, very scary. Um, I, I work with words. I work on stage. If you've seen live comedy, you've got to be quick. And to not know if it was going to come back, to, to feel that if I went on stage and someone said something, I might freeze. I might not be able to to do the things I wanted to do is very, very scary. Mm. Yeah, you talk about needing to be quick. You've also got to be creative. Yeah. So how did, you, how did you reconcile that, trying to be this, a, a creative guy and, and, you know, bringing your own life experience into your comedy, but at the same time feeling like you're being bogged down by these changes that you've made? Well, it's, um, you know, the, I, I, something people don't know about stand-up comedy is that it, you, you build a club set. So you come up with a joke and you refine that joke and you put it into your, your set. So you're often repeating. So I actually leaned into, uh, I've, I've been doing this now for about 18 years. So I had about a decade's worth of, not all good jokes, but I had a decade back catalog and I actually leaned into um, mm. using my older material because the muscle memory and the delivery memory was there. Making new stuff became less of a priority uh, as as uh, until I didn't feel comfortable making new stuff until my brain was up to scratch because it wasn't just speed work. I was actually using the wrong word. You know how sometimes when you're tired, you'll use the wrong word or you'll say a sentence back to front? Happens to me all the time. So I, w- I, w- I was doing that um, in, in interviews and in uh, situations where I was in, in meetings with people and that began to affect my confidence because I thought, oh my God, maybe I'm, you know, I've got brain damage, and this is just how it how it is now. And um, I do have a little bit of, of of damage, but it's memory related. I just I've, I've lost um, some permanent memories. Uh, they they just don't seem to be there anymore, which is very sad. Mm. But I I can accept that um, because I I still have retained my brain and I have met people who have not been as fortunate mm. um, as, as to have that. And immersing yourself in comedy, wanting to be funny, laughing a lot, how has that helped you in the last few years? Well, the joke we always do in the arts is um, comedians are, are just people who can't afford therapy. So comedy is really great uh, for processing trauma, mm. whether it's big society personal trauma so I actually made a show um, uh, when, when I when I found I, I wasn't in a position to make new work I, I made a show about um, sort of going through this stuff and it was interesting because I did get pushback talking about being an alcoholic in New Zealand and Australia and it, it, it was people who were very much projecting their own insecurities about their drinking or their behaviour onto me, um, mm. and because I was sober, I actually, I didn't rise to any bait that people were throwing out. It, actually, what I did was I went back to the drawing board and went, "How can I talk about this stuff in a way that if you are feeling that way, you'll hear me? You know, what can I do?" Mm. And um, 
you know, a lot of it, it, it it's actually just finding ways uh, about me being an idiot um, or doing dumb things or just making myself look like a dickhead because when you start talking about not drinking, I think people get worried you're about to preach a sermon to them about the righteousness of sobriety and all that. So if you can go, no, 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 this wasn't me seeing the lights. This was a necessary life change because I was a wreck. And then they're like, oh, okay. In, in the comedy, I mean, I've been to comedy clubs many, many times and they're full of booze. Most yep. people are drinking, a social lubricant, we know that. Did that take real courage for you to go back into that environment? Do you know, I was, I was very lucky, and I, I, I think I only appreciate this because I go overseas a lot. The New Zealand comedy scene had my back. I, I um, got in touch with the heads of the comedy festival. Within our industry, I am at a certain level, have a certain standing, um, and I talked to all the, the bar owners. Of the of the main venues around New Zealand that I, I performed in, yeah, you know they're not full clubs, but they're places I would I would go every couple of months and, and do sets. And I said, this has happened in my life. Not a single one of them came back with anything negative. Incredibly supportive. Always made sure that even if there was booze for other comics, there was non-alcoholic stuff for me. Let the other comics know, hey, those couple of soft drinks or this, that's for James. All right, if you want a soft drink. Come see us at the bar, um, but that stuff. So um, one one guy knew I liked drinking red wine, so he went and bought sparkling red grape juice so he could still pour me a glass. Said, um, which actually in those first couple of months, you know, guys were like, oh, we can just put ginger ale in a small glass if you want to look like you're still taking a drink on stage. Because a lot of bartenders actually have tricks for people who want to look like they're drinking mm. but not drinking because there's outside of performing, that is actually a situation in bars that, that people have. So they were much more hip to it than, than I was. And so, and, and, but I don't think I could have gone back mm. into those situations, mate, um, mm. if, if I hadn't had the support of the venues. I don't think I would have felt safe. I'm not sure I would have been able to overcome the peer pressure in those early months. So the support was essential. How have you been able to help others since you have been telling your story? Um, I, I think just normalising it, mate. You know, it's, it's, I, I think just saying, hey, it's not that um, there's this great demon drink out there. Um, it's that if you're a person that, you know, it doesn't have to be drink. If you're a person who a, a substance has got hold of, and your brain as well. That's actually a lot more normal in our society than we talk about. Um, and and I'm, I'm someone who uh, I, I never talk about like I'm a recovered alcoholic because I still can't drink. I always just say, hey, um, I don't really talk about myself as an alcoholic. My, mm. my counselor was very good. She was a lovely old, old lady. I, I won't name her because she likes her privacy, but um, she said, look, if you can get your brain to the point where you think of yourself as a non-drinker and you understand why you do not drink, that's a really good step. But it's always just a circle. So I'm just at the stage where I'm not drinking. And if I, if I do have a drink, if I come off the wagon, mm. that's, that's just a part of it. That's not a failure. That just means you reset and you start again. And I think that's actually the, the thing I've, I've tried to tell people who want to stop drinking um, or who are, are, have problems with drinking is to not think of it as success and failure, but just think of it 
uh, uh, something more gentle, mm. less less pressure. It's good to have you back in New Zealand. What projects uh, have you got coming up, or is there anything on the boil at the moment? Do you know, one of the things to come out of my sobriety is a is a is a podcast I do for Radio New Zealand, and it's called Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower, and it's um, a mental health podcast which comes from um, uh, the, the, those early months in sobriety, and um, and, and it is all about normalising mental health conversations, and yeah. it is about we we talk to people about addiction and whatnot. Um, that's that's the main thing I usually point people to. I will be in comedy right. clubs um, around New Zealand the next couple of months. Uh, there's no comedy festival this year, sadly. Um, but uh, yeah, if people want to come down to the, the classic comedy bar in in uh, mm. Auckland or um, uh, to the Fringe Bar in Wellington, they they, they might see me mosing around there. I'll, I'll be I'll be um, at the bar drinking a coffee. <laughs> And they'll know, they'll know to pour you a nice hot one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, the amount of comedy clubs that now serve barista comedy. That's that's my legacy in this country, mate. Yeah. Well, good for you. And look, lo- lovely, lovely of you to come on the program and tell us your story and for being brave and courageous and humble and, and sharing it with us. And we really appreciate it, James, and we wish you all the very best. This is Take It From Us. Real stories, real life, as told by you. Well, Nikki Smirk and C. Niz started Ghost Like Studios in 2020 with the sole purpose to be able to provide a place where local artists can make their dreams a reality. Growing up with ADHD, Nikki was teased a lot at school, did not make many friends easily. He always found it extremely difficult to pay attention during class and required constant medication to help stay focused. He liked to think that music saved his life. Uh, C. Niz has the singing voice, and together they shared the same goals and motives. Uh, Nikki and C. Niz decided they should form a studio together to try and create some great things, and I've got both of these guys with us today on Take It From Us. Thank you so much for your time. How are you both doing? Awesome, Kent. Thank you so much. It's really good to be here. Uh, yeah, cheers. Tell us about the vision, about the, the shared goals, and how it all came together. That's a real good question, Kent, actually. Um... When I, when I met Cenas, I was going through a sort of like a stage in my life where I was really, really in, um, climbing the ladder with the music and we, we were looking for more people to sort of branch out and work with. And it was through a mutual friend, actually, that uh, his name is Forsaken, that uh, Cenas and I um, met each other. And the moment we met each other, it was like instant chemistry. Um, I heard Cenas sing for the first time and I thought, damn, this dude's got a voice of gold. I can't believe this, you know. Um, my mum's his biggest fan. <laughs> so um yeah and, we, and we, we we shared the same ideologies and we decided it would be a good idea if we could put two minds together to try and come up with a common vision and a dream to make a studio which is ghost like studios and through that we've been able to help artists um mm. we've also helped people with disabilities too we've had we've had a um, student come through has autism and uh beautiful i'm talking beautiful mm. reggae voice this kid came through and you know he's on like the risk beware sort of list like you have to have like a minder with him at all times but the moment he stepped into mm. our studio he was nothing of the sort the moment the music played he was calm, collected. Right. He was in his zone. It was so amazing to see Ken. And just we mm. recorded this reggae song for him and his mum cried. You know, she said, I'm just so happy to see my boy be able to fulfill his dreams because she didn't think he had a chance to, you know. And so, Lovely. 
Yeah. It's like he's found his happy place. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, mm. that's exactly right. How did how did music save your life? Do you think? Well, growing up with ADHD before before I became medicated. Um, I found it really, really difficult to make friends at school. I was always teased. I was always bullied. Um, I just, I was different from the rest. I was, mm. in, in all truth, this kid, I was annoying. I was easily distracted, you know, always flicking the pen on the table, always, you know, being that kid. But I didn't realize I was doing it, you know. And one day I just, I was just listening to some music and I thought, I would love to do that, you know. I would, mm. I would love to do that. I'd love to get into hip-hop. And I started getting into hip-hop and it just kind of came to me. I just... I realized that each time I made a song or I did music, I felt better inside. And I was showing it to friends and I was saying, what do you think? Like, honestly, what do you think? And they were saying, Nikki, this, this is really cool. This is really real. This is really, you know, what it's about. Good on you. You know, so I, I, all of a sudden I started having friends. I started having people. It wasn't just the music. I think it was the fact that I was showing a different side of myself that mm. was making me feel better as well, you know. And so I was able to engage with more people based on that sort of common mm. ground. And um, I ended up meeting a lot of like-minded people that have uh, mental disabilities that are in the music industry. And it's, it's actually quite amazing sort of when you look at the fact that people see disabilities as a an ailment when really it's more like just a difference because if you can work with a different wavelength for example creativity through musical structure and frequency some of these people are actually much more of a genius in different ways you know and i've Mm. noticed especially people with autism and other people with adhd they have little quirks and tricks that they can do and they can't explain why they can do it they can just do it and it's once people are sort of able to tap into that and they're able to find their true purpose and goal and seen is what what was your journey into music and who were your influences? Oh, hey mate, how's it going? Um, so basically for me, um, my journey into music was from a young age. I was always um, I was always singing and performing out loud. You know, like my mum would video me when I, was, when I was a kid, like singing. But I was off. You know, I couldn't sing when I was a kid. I'll be honest, I couldn't sing. It was off pitch, but I was I was enthusiastic and I loved it. You know, so I was like always into it. And then um, going up a bit further, when I was like year six, I think. At um, St. Paul's Primary, I um, performed Where Is The Love in front of about 400 people for a school production. And um, I literally like felt like that was like home for me. Like I owned the stage, walked mm-hmm. up and down. And everyone gave me like the energy and stuff, you know, like, and that's where I like sort of was like, oh, I'm pretty good at this, you know, but it wasn't actually apparent to me that I could do that as a job or mm-hmm. something, you know. So then um, moving forward, I got to about 15 at school. And I used to get bullied at high school for about four, three, four, five years, long time. And um, then I found a guitar and I was like, oh, mum, can I get one of these? I want to try this. She's like, oh, what do you mean? Like, yeah, because no one in my family plays music. No one's musical. Um, so she, gave, she got me a guitar anyway, randomly, some second hand. And I was like, thanks, mum, you know. And then uh, I went and taught myself at school, asked people to show me a song, learned how to basically like playing myself I never got any lessons or anything or nothing like that and then I um, moved forward into making my own music when I was from 16 writing my own songs on the guitar and um, mostly love songs and stuff like that like for the girl you know <laughs> singing some songs yeah. um, but I also like helps like just be with myself if you know what I mean like it could help me get away from things and I could sit in my room or sit on a balcony or sit on a rock or anywhere and play and it, it was just like it took me away to be like in that moment, if you know what I mean. It was it was only in yeah. that moment. And then yeah, meeting Nikki, um oh, I started Ghost Like Records, sorry, in twenty fourteen. 
Um, I still run it to this day with Nikki Smirk now. Um, got my diploma of audio engineering in 2015 from SAE Institute. Um, and then I met Nikki in 20, 2020. Um, and it was literally like I was literally getting, I was, um, getting kicked out of everywhere I was living and it wasn't even for anything that I was doing. It was, it was like it was the universe like throwing me out of these places. And then all of a sudden I put up a post and I'd only met Nikki twice, I think, like just met him, like, you know, made a song with him. And then I put up a post on Facebook saying I needed somewhere to live. And within two minutes, Nikki had messaged me saying, come, I got you. You can come and live with me. And I lived in West Auckland, you know, and he lived in East Auckland. So I never lived on the opposite side or away from West. So it was like a whole new thing. But I thought, you know what, this is what i got to do. I've got to try something new. And we just put our studios together and created this bigger, badder studio, you know, called Ghost Like Studios. And... From the moment I met Nikki, like as you was talking about with his ADHD, um, I always said to him it was a gift. It wasn't um it wasn't a mental health disability or anything like that. I told him it was a, it was a gift because like how many people can hyper focus like when you know into certain things that they enjoy? Like how many people can get that hyper like you know, that's a gift. That's not a, that's not something that can hold you back in a way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you, you talk, you're talking about that laser focus. So you came together, you guys, Nikki, and now you're heading out into schools and you encourage young people to, to, to love their music and you teach kids how to rap. I mean, where were you guys when I was at school? How do you teach kids how to rap? <laughs> honestly, honestly, Ken, I wish that they could have taught us how to rap as well. It's, it's, it's actually quite funny. So, so the first school was some of a intermediate. Now, when I was a kid, I wasn't very good at doing, um, like homework, I was terrible, right? But speeches were coming up in year eight, and my dad said to me, son, you're going to do a speech, and you're going to do a good one. And I said, all right, then. He goes, what's your topic going to be? And I, and I thought about it, and I thought, all right, I'm going to do a topic on why I hate going shopping with my parents. But, you know, like when you go to the malls and you see your friends, and they will see you with your parents. It's, it's a bit embarrassing as a kid, you know? So that, so I made this speech about it, and, and I tell you what, I bloody won. I won the school final. It was my only trophy to the state that I got from, from school was this little speech trophy, right? And it was at Somerville Intermediate. Skipping right on up to 2020, 2021, eh? Hey, yeah, 2021. Um, a lady named Vanessa Hancock that works at Somerville Intermediate messaged on the East Auckland grapevine saying, we're looking for a couple of rappers to come into the school to teach our kids how to do speeches because back in the day, obviously, we had the informative speeches, but now they can choose spoken word poetry, TED Talks, like the flash the flash talks with the PowerPoint behind you sort of thing, and rap or a normal speech. So there's four different categories, and they said, we want to get a couple of rappers to come in to teach these kids how to do it. So... I got tagged in a lot in, in a lot of the messages, and I ended up saying, "Hey, I'll come in and do it." And she said, "Awesome, thanks." So I said, "I'm going to bring my mate Cena's in with me, and we're going to teach the class." So we hosted this amazing workshop. How many weeks have it been? This we did about tw- ten yeah. weeks, wasn't it? Ten, thirteen. Uh, Twenty twenty was ten weeks, but 20, last year was only cut short to about six or seven because of uh, COVID restrictions. But, but mm-hmm. we had yeah. ten weeks in total of, of teaching. Yeah. And it, it was a, it was an amazing thing being able to teach too, and it was quite ironic, sort of going back to the same school. And I brought I brought him a little trophy, and I said, "For any of you that think that I'm I'm just here yabbering on," I said, "Here's my trophy from when I won." You know, so it was like a good chance to show that it's my only claim to fame. So, um. <laughs> and Nikki, what are your ambitions for the future? To be able to help as many people as we as, we, as I can, Kent. Um, 
being able to put smiles on other people's faces, especially people less fortunate, makes me really happy inside. I love knowing that while, while we're still alive, we can do good things to help other people. We actually had two girls from one of the classes, right? Um, two Islander girls that were awesome, Sierra and Aisha. They were amazing. They were going to go through to the finals. They had done really, really well, and they did a rap together. And they actually emailed me and said, Nikki, thank you for everything, but we, we're not going to do the finals. I said, why not? And they said, oh, because... Uh, we, we don't want to do it in front of everyone. I said, well, well too bad. <laughs> I drove down to the school and I pulled them out of class. I said, I want to have a word with you ladies. I said, girls, moments like this only come once or twice in a lifetime where you really have the opportunity and you're in the position to really prove yourself and face the world. I said, what does fear stand for? They said, oh, I don't know. I said, it's, it's feeling everything against reality. The only thing you're really scared of is fear itself. I said, you're going to go and do it, and you're going to make us all proud. And they said, oh, okay, then. They got up there, Kent, and they won. They won it, right? And then when we had prize giving, which is which about a month later, we had to present the prizes to the people that won, you see, and their parents came up to us and said, thank you so much for pushing our girls to go their extra mile because, you know, and I just said to the girls, never, ever forget this moment, you know. You, you almost backed out, but no, you went and you faced your fear and you came out on top and, you know, you're forever better for it. And that's yeah. what made us truly happy, you know, and that's what we want to do. We want more of that. We want to help the younger generation. We want to help people that are, you know, that are faced with ailments, disabilities, mm. anything like that. We want to help make their dreams happen. Yeah. And we need more of that. And you guys are inspiring so many people. And it's been so great to have you on. Uh, make sure, too, you check out the guys' uh, ghost-like records. You can find them online, of course, and go and see some some of the great stuff that they've been doing. It's been awesome to have you both on. Uh, Seniors, take us out with your exclusive new track. Tell us about uh, that. Cool. So, yeah, I've got a track dropping next month at the end of the month. Uh, it's called I Do It Alone. Uh, basically, it was a time where um, my coach, who was my basketball coach, he... Um, he passed away and he was like a father to me. And um, I literally sat on a couch for 48 hours, like didn't move, except for going to the toilet, um, didn't eat, didn't do nothing, and I just sat there. And then um, something hit me. I, I talked to a, a friend on the phone, one person, and I was like, um, he said something to me. He said, um, when you're the strong one, people don't know how to help you sort of thing. He was like, because you're always there for everyone else, People just expect you to be strong, like, and they don't think that you can have these moments or something, you know? And I was like, nah, I get, that makes sense, you know? Like, I thank you for, like, making that a realization to me. So then once he said that, I put the phone down and I made the song. Like, literally, I had tears in my eyes and everything, and I made the song while I was in that state. And um, I don't want to change it because it's got, like, that shaky voice. It's got, like, a little bit of a thing, but, like, I could make it a a really great production, you know, like I could make it sound really tight and all of that, but I don't I don't think I want to just because of the feeling it gets, if you know what I mean. No. So yeah, this is our scene as I do it alone. No one near my Anyone that needed me, I was there without a clock. Hours after hours of a smoking non-stop. Being there always made it clear. Having somebody release the shock. Let out an air, show them you care. Bottom my bed, uh, mirror a tear. 
I've been to the face, it's too many stairs. Ah, uh, way too many good ones gone too early. It's okay. We need to stop the cycle, we need actions, but we stay. Ah, uh, if you need someone to talk to, just message me, I swear. I'll do my best to help you if that means you're staying here. Ah, uh, if you need someone to talk to, just message me, I swear. I'll do my best to help you if that means you're staying here. Choice, but I handle my own. Cause I have to. I have people in my life who would have for the time. I don't have to. But when I think you're a family or friend to me, I'm always there. Like a tattoo. You don't need to tell me something's wrong. Cause I can see it. You don't gotta ask for my help at all. Cause I can feel it. I was spending them time on them chests and them calls. Cause you need it. But not everyone can see what you feel, so you gotta reach out. Don't leave it. If you need someone to talk to, just message me, I swear. I'll do my best to help you if that means you stay in here. Uh, if you need someone to talk to, just message me, I swear. I'll do my best to help you if that means you stay in here. track I do it alone heard here first on take it from us Karen it's time for our Sheldon shout out who are we talking about this week well Kent had a lovely day the other day at a, a friend's wedding and caught up with some old friends and just over a conversation was just reminded that they've uh, been sober now both of them for over 30 years so you know I just wanted to do a shout out to them and a big well done to them for the hard work they've put in over the years and also to the work they do in helping other people um, and talking to them and, and sort of supporting people who also need help and sort of overcoming alcohol problems. So well done to my friends. Yes, well said. And 30 years, man, that is hugely significant. It makes me think actually of a mate that I've got, one of my best buddies, who has been sober now for more than three years and I'm extremely proud of him because for him to give up the booze was it was a huge decision and he stuck at it and he's doing so well. So there's a difference between three years and 30 years, but both hugely significant milestones for those close friends and, and family members in our lives who we care about very much. Thanks so much, Karen. Uh, thanks so much for listening to us today on Take It From Us. Remember to jump onto our Facebook page, facebook.com, Take It From Us. Really hope you've enjoyed some time with friends and family over the last couple of long weekends. Thanks to Rika Rosley, James Nokise, Nikki Smirk and C. Niz for appearing on our program. And we will be back with you again next week right here. Take It From Us. You've been listening to Take It From Us with host Kent Johns, produced by Karen Murphy, executive producer Andrew Dewhurst, made with the real stories and voices from our community. And for that, we thank you. For more information on anything you've heard on today's show or for direction on where to seek further advice or assistance, visit our Facebook page, Take It From Us.